So I feel like I learned something about you this week, Simone. Uh oh. I can now eliminate the possibility that you're a vampire after you sent me that <laughs> soup recipe, which is just several bulbs of garlic and butter, which is the most French thing I've ever seen in my <laughs> All life. All part of my plan, Brianna. All part of my plan. What, uh, what is your plan? To make you know that I'm definitely not a vampire. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> Uh, this soup recipe, in case any of you fools don't follow my Twitter, is the 44 clove garlic soup recipe from Smitten Kitchen. It is a life-giving soup that actually probably would be great for vampires because I think it can raise the dead. It certainly did <laughs> heal me as I was coming out of my illness, as you all remember. You remember my illness, of course. Um, it's Traces of it are still with us, but... <coughs> But you know, the soup really did the mo- the bulk of the work of healing my soul. Yeah, don't don't rely on antibiotics. No, no, no. Simone soup. Listen, you've know? heard me talk about antibiotics before. You know, you know my feelings. Hello and welcome to Rocket's Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Simone de Rochefort. I'm a video producer, senior video producer at Polygon.com, and I'm here today with. Christina Warren, Senior Cloud Developer, nope, just Senior Cloud Advocate, whoa baby, at Microsoft, and Brianna Wu, Democratic Candidate for Congress and Vampire Hunter in the state of Massachusetts. (laughs) Van Wu, that's my name. (laughs) Well, I'm on a different soup now. Um, This is soup time, by the way. Get ready for this for the next five months. It's soup time. Um, it's not all news, all soup, all, all soup, all the time. Can, can you tell me if I'm going to need a diabetes clinic nearby after I eat your soup? Uh, can you can you spoil that? Why for me? would you? Isn't that a sugar thing and not a butter thing? <laughs> okay, fair, fair. Um, butter is a healthy yeah. fat. Okay, I mean, <laughs> uh, no yeah. one can argue with me. Because the facts are on my side. <laughs> Speaking of facts, yeah, I mean, let's br- get into I mean, our- real butter, sure, yes. Well, I only use real butter. What do you take me for? You are very French. I pay $8 for a box of butter in this hell city. It better be friggin' real. <laughs> hey, tech news is what this show is about. But stay tuned for more Soup Talk, as always, throughout the coming months, maybe even the rest <laughs> of the show. Today, we've got the battle of the earbuds uh amazon echo buds and airpods pro oh there are impressions of both of them we've also got some first impressions of apple tv plus that are coming down the line from entertainment reporters and uh, i cannot wait to dig into that and then to wrap it all up we're going to talk about some video games some good video games Uh, i hear a little birdie told me that brianna has things to say about um game of the decade return of the oberdin so, oh, yes, it's so good. Okay, we'll heck save yeah, it. yeah, but we're going to save it. That's your dessert, folks, once you get through this meat. um, <laughs> And hey, it's also my job to tell you that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by ExpressVPN, Pingdom, and Zapier. Okay, let's get into the show. So, Amazon's Echo Buds have dropped, and at the same time, some preliminary reviews of uh, Apple's new AirPods Pro have also dropped. The main thing these two sets of wireless earbuds have in common is that they both offer not noise cancellation, but noise reduction, uh, which is a first for AirPods, and the um, Echo Buds are dropping with them right out of the gate to mix some Uh, cliched metaphors here. Um, But there is a huge difference, uh, one being that the Echo Buds are $129.99, which is considerably less, I think $100 less than the AirPods. No, Um, AirPods are $250. AirPods are $250, so uh, they're basically half the price. That's that's $100 less, right? No, it's 120 it's 120 less. Oh Air, god. Okay. So they're basically I knew it was 250, Air, Air, but I thought that that was 100. 
No, because the, oh, the Echo Buds math. are 129. This isn't a math yeah. show, Christina. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, uh, the AirPod Pros are are 250 uh, before tax. Um, I with my Apple Care uh, plan because for if I'm spending that much money on on freaking earbuds, I'm gonna get an Apple Care. Uh, it was over 300 dollars with tax for my Jeez. order. I spilled water all down my front because I was so upset at being asked to subtract. Uh, $130 from $150. You can round. Um, <laughs> Why don't you make some soup that'll make you better at math? Whoa. <laughs> you come on my show and you attack my eating habits. Brianna Wu. Okay. We'll get into that. Um, So, going back to Amazon's Echo Buds. And I apologize. You're going to hear a little pause every time I start to say the name of one of these products. And it is because I have so much trouble between... Earpods and AirPods and Echo Buds, all this friggin' nonsense, keeping specifically the wireless headphones straight from each other in terms of names. Um, but by all accounts, the Echo Buds are actually pretty friggin' good, especially at their price point. The noise reduction seems to work as, as um, as previewed, uh, the noise reduction technology in the Echo Buds was developed by Bose, who says that they are they're coming out with their own uh, wireless headphones later uh, next year, and they've said that the technology in those will be even stronger. Of course, that is what they'd say. They're making their own darn headphones, but um, by all accounts, the noise can or the noise reduction in these headphones is also pretty great. Um, it features Alexa that you can talk to directly. Uh, by saying, hey, Alexa, yo, um, and all the general features that we would expect from AirPods, with the exception of a wireless charging and uh, direct volume control on the buds themselves. You have to either ask Alexa to do it or adjust the volume on your phone. The, the case is apparently also fairly large, and um, it uses micro USB and not USB-C or lightning. And what? Uh, uh. Well, I mean, micro USB is the one thing that makes me be like, really, guys? Because yeah. that's a cable that, I mean, I usually do travel with one because I have something in my arsenal that still uses it, but... There are those things that I really like to avoid when possible. Um, one of the only good things about losing my Sony um, 1000MX or XM2 um, over-ear uh, noise-canceling headphones uh, last year during Christmas, and then my parents were nice enough to buy me the XM3s, was that the XM2s charged via US, uh, micro-USB, whereas the XM3s use USB-C. And, uh, uh, I mean, that wasn't worth buying a whole new pair of of headphones that you've only had for seven months but yeah uh but you uh, conveniently it, lost them <laughs> i did and my parents were amazing and bought them for me because they felt bad for me oh yeah so it kind of seems like from what i have read it is the uh micro usb the ancient decrepit micro <laughs> usb the verge literally did call it ancient in their review um this uh, charging system that is the big negative about these headphones. What? How do y'all feel? I I feel like I've got a whole de- house full of devices that still use that standard. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least it's not the yeah you know, the one that they used with the PlayStation Three. You uh, know mini, US, the mini USB. Yeah, yes, mini USB. Oh lord! <laughs> you try to find one of those. You're like cannibalizing yeah. your whole mm-hmm. house. Yeah, no, yeah. That, it's it's funny because that's what the uh, that's what the uh, blue Yeti uses. <laughs> yep. And so if you travel with that, you have to make sure that you have that cable packed because otherwise, yep. no one will have it. It's so true. I have a bunch of, um, like most of my portable batteries also still use micro USB rather than lightning. So I do generally have one on me. I guess, yeah. Um, I guess, you know, if I weren't totally hopelessly lost in the Apple ecosystem, I think I would find uh, the Amazon Echo Buds a compelling product at the price point. They seem to be good. The the, the wireless, uh, sorry, the noise-canceling feature, the guy from Bose, it seems to work well from the reviews I've read. Um, the problem is, and you know, Neelai uh, over at The Verge was talking about this, that literally no company can compete with Apple when it comes to hardware convenience because you just open up the case and you plop it in your ear, and generally speaking, it works with AirPods. So 
it's hard for me to imagine dealing with the headache with any other product. Does that make sense? I mean, I think for for AirPods that or for you know in ear wireless, I think that makes sense. I haven't had an issue with my Bose, for instance, to just have them. They auto pair, you know, once they're paired with Bluetooth, then it works. The one thing with the, with, not my Bose, sorry, my Sony's, I don't have any Bose. Um, the one thing that annoys me about my Sony is that, ironically, this is a feature that the Bose does support, is that they don't support being paired to multiple devices at once. And so I have to unpair yeah. from uh, my, you know, like, iPad and then pair to my phone and vice versa on long flights. But other than that, I will say, I think in general, I love the convenience of, of uh, the the W1 chip, and I've had it on, like, I think three different pairs of, of, of uh, um, uh, headphones, various uh, products at this point. But um, And I, I love just being able to kind of click it open and, and immediately tap and, and go. Uh, that said, most – if you're not constantly pairing, unpairing, um, most Bluetooth devices, you know, they stay connected. So – Sometimes I wonder, like, I, I agree that it's a complete, like, benefit, and I think there's some other benefits to the whole ecosystem, like, you know, uh, if, if you do use multiple devices, being able to, you know, auto-have them kind of paired or whatever, but um, I don't – it wouldn't be like, uh, uh, I'm not going to buy these if it's a really good product because of this. For me, the reason that I like yeah. AirPods and the reason I instantly – pre-ordered the AirPods Pros is they're just really convenient and the size works in a way that that's the one thing that I'm not convinced on the Echo Buds is they still look a little bit like I don't love yeah. that plug design if that makes any sense I much Oh, that was one of the things I jotted down as one of the things that I liked about it um was that I think that they do look more stylish than the AirPods plus they come in black which is something the AirPods still don't I think the AirPods are so ubiquitous at this point. I mean, yeah. you know, it's they don't really say anything plus or negative at this point. Um, They're I mean, neutral, the gym, yeah. Yeah, it's like an Apple Watch. At first, yeah. it was cool, and now they're so ubiquitous. It just, I mean, it, it doesn't say anything bad. It's just not a, a statement at all. Um, yeah, which I think in some cases is actually a positive, right? Like, everybody said that they were going to make fun of, you know, AirPods, and then, you know, I was a very early adopter of them, um, but everybody adopted them instantly and, and used them. And, you know, but that... Um, uh, uh, form factor, you know, the the white earbuds, Apple's literally been using in advertisements for like 18 years. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think you're right. It's just, it doesn't say anything. That said, I don't disagree that the the design is, is any less stylish. Um, and I do like they come in black. My big thing is that typically for my ears, and I would have to try the Echo Buds to see those types of kind of the way that those things plug in, I tend to find them uncomfortable. Um, and, and I tend to to not like the fit, but that's my own personal like past experience. I don't know with these particular ones, but certainly yeah. I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm glad to see this, at least at this price point. I think this is really compelling because to be $130 to offer, you know, um, uh, you know, like a noise canceling or, or noise reduction or whatever they're going to be saying is uh, – is a big deal because at that point, not only are you coming in less than uh, normal AirPods and are you coming in less than the AirPods with the wireless charging case, but you are coming in, you know, like almost half the price of AirPods Pro. Um, and, and that's not insignificant. It's not nothing. And I will say, uh, like the AirPods Pro, the Echo Buds do come with uh, different sized ear tips that you can experiment with. Um, including wingtips, apparently, to help them stay in while running, but the Verge's review said they didn't really need it. I, of course, must make my obligatory statement that, of course, I will not be purchasing these because they do have the quality of being made by Amazon. Um, yeah. That being said, I did appreciate how um, they have taken some privacy precautions, particularly with the Alexa integration in that when the AirPods, when the Echo Buds, oh my God, I did it. When the Echo Buds are removed from your ears, the um, audio mutes itself. So if you say Alexa to the Echo Buds while they're out of your ears, Alexa ain't gonna hear ya. She's asleep, um, which I think is a, a very reasonable precaution to take. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, definitely. Um, to me, the 
the the Amazon Echo earbuds, they are, you know, they're a cheaper option, they're a solid option. That to me is not the interesting question that I think Apple people need to ask themselves this week. The the question I'm really interested in is are the AirPod Pros a worthy upgrade over the AirPod? And Christina, I saw you, you went and bought these right yep. away. I didn't. And this is why I didn't. Um, I I run a lot. And AirPods, it really surprises me, but they never, never, never fall out of my ears. I don't think it, I've ever had it happen. Um, it's a good product. And it's at a price point where I can have like a you know, several pairs of them and they stay in my purse and it's it's there. Um, for me, I look at what this has that's a, a feature on it. Um, the volume control, that's mm-hmm. nice. I would rather have that than not have it. Um, you've got the noise canceling. And this is where I kind of, uh, dis- this is where it's not a feature I really want on an airplane I carry Edemotic, which are physical, yep. three-flange tips, uh, the best sound, like literally just plugging up your ear on the market. And I can sit next to a crying baby and hear nothing. Oh, so that's, that's when, oh, it's a great product. That yeah, they're is, fantastic. That is the kind of noise canceling that I want. When I'm, What I find with AirPods, uh, they stay in my ear so much that I don't want them to can like cancel out the world. I don't want something with a a seal in my ear all the time. And you know the 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 hit that's taking to the battery. I'm sure this is a great product for some people, but for me, it just it doesn't. None of the upgrades make it worth the additional price point. So that's why I'm personally taking a pass on this. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. That to- that makes total sense. Uh, for me. I've like just been such a, a fan um, of the of the AirPods that um, it was just like an instant like take my money thing uh, to the point that I usually get the case monogrammed and that was going to potentially put me in a situation where they might have arrived by November first, but uh, it, it said it could be you know up to November fifth. The issue is is that I get on an airplane on November second and I won't be back in the United States until the night of November fifteenth. Oh, no. And and then it was going to be a thing of okay, well I could pick them up in a store in Orlando on like the seventh, but that's a whole thing because I'm there for work. And so I, anyway, I wound up getting them not monogrammed, and they should arrive tomorrow. Um, I also have the Edematic uh, kind of custom ear tips, and I've used Edematic in-ear earphones for years from a wired standpoint, and I love them. Yeah. Um, I'm actually curious. Sometimes you can, and it'll it'll remain to be seen like what what the size of the tips are. But sometimes you can get those custom tips to work on things on on other um, earphones. So yeah. I, I will be interested to see if either that happens or if someone like Edematic comes up with a customized solution because that would be interesting. Um, uh, but, uh, there was, um, there was a, an in-ear, uh, uh, headphone that Apple made back in like, like, uh, 2008, I want to say. And they basically, um, were like a higher end version of the original, like iPhone, um, earbuds. And they had the same types of tips that it looks like this does. And in fact, actually, they had a fairly similar design. And I really liked those. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the experience is like. The early first impressions, because these were announced on on Monday, like it was a surprise announcement. And they, uh, you know, the, the media people who've had them, the YouTubers, have basically only been able to do like... I've had these for five hours. Here are my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, but they seem to be good. Uh, sound quality seems to be better. The one disappointment, and I certainly agree with this, that a lot of people have is that the battery life is uh, not any better. It's like four and a half hours yeah. um, of, I think of listen time. Is it four and a half with the noise reduction enabled? I believe so. Yeah. And I think without, I believe without it's longer, but I mean, I don't have a horse in this race. I guess that's the other thing that made me not want to do it is the fact that the case is so much smaller as well. And I have to interpret that as it having a smaller battery inside. No, the case isn't smaller. It's just an, uh, it's, it's just a different configuration. Oh, yeah. is it just shaped differently? It's okay. just shaped differently. Four and a half hours uh, of music with noise canceling. And then the case still provides a little over 24 hours of battery life. 
Okay, that's um, good. So that does have the charging. Plus, there's a um, transparency mode that you can toggle on to allow outside sounds to come in. Um, right. Which the review right. says makes it uh, make lets you be able to talk to people without feeling like there's giant rubber plugs in your ears. So you're spending two hundred, like a lot of money, to buy AirPods that will electronically use battery power to allow yeah. it to go through well, and mic yeah. in the music no, that you could hear. I cannot well, no, defend I, the price yeah. point. I cannot. I, yeah. the, the, the price is yeah. expensive, but I totally understand that feature. The, uh, most, oh, I get it. Yeah. No, I mean, but, but most high-end noise-canceling headphones have the exact same feature. And the nice thing is, if you are outdoors and you don't want to take them out, but you also don't want to get hit by a car, <laughs> although in my experience, having headphones in really doesn't matter if you're going to get hit by a car anyway— um, but, so but, fast. But, but if you, uh, if you want, uh, you know, to do that, you can, I think that there's just like a gesture that you can do on these. That's the one thing about this. I think that's a real game changer potentially is that there's now, um, a kind of a gesture control where you can do a number of different things by pressing kind of like a, a hidden button on the stem. This that's thing awesome. excites me. Yeah. So this kind of feels like, a subtle return of 3D touch, but in the headphones. Yes. So it's not a physical yes. button, but it is a sensor that you press and or squeeze, and then it will make a click sound um, uh. in your ears, which uh, sounds extremely pleasant to me. Yeah, I'm very into that. That being said, $250. <laughs> no, it's all and it, that, that really, I mean, it puts it, 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 it takes it very much out of any realm of... These are my everyday casual wireless uh, earbuds. It takes it very much into, I mean, it, it is called the Pro. It's called the Pro for a reason. It is. It is called the Pro for a reason. And I think that, it, I mean, this is also, I, I will bet that they will sell, you know, millions of these, obviously, but I would bet that they will continue to sell even more of the existing AirPods. Um, it would be interesting to me, and I think it would be smart if what they did, and I don't know when they would do this, is if they would just go ahead and drop the price of the AirPods that have the wireless charging case. Um, those have been selling for $200. They would just go ahead and make those the regular ones and just kind of deprecate the other one. Yep. Or conversely, they could sell the one without the wireless charging case for $100 and sell the others for $160. Um, that might be too much of a price differential. But it, the closer they can get to $99 for AirPods, I mean, it's already a game-changing product and is, you know, everything the HomePod wanted to be times 10. Um, it's it's genuinely, like, has been an industry-leading and uh, kind of creating um, a product. Um, but this is definitely not going to be the, the thing that everybody uh, can or should buy. And, mm -hmm. you know, my birthday is coming up. And also, we know that I was going to buy this. It's headphones and it's <laughs> Apple. We know. We know. There's no way I wasn't not going to buy these. I but swear to God, this is true, Christina. I saw it come out and I saw it and I said, huh, this is really interesting. I am going to wait for Christina <laughs> to buy this and tell me about it on Rocket. And then if it's really And then good, you can make the decision if you I should do it or not. I can make a decision. Absolutely. But right now, I don't need to think about this. And I swear that's what I did. <laughs> well, on that note, this episode of Rocket is brought to you by ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is a reliable way to ensure that your network data is secure without slowing down your internet speed. If you ever use Wi-Fi at a hotel or a shopping mall, you're sending data over an open network with no encryption. The scary thing is, that makes it easy for a hacker to bypass Wi-Fi security and steal your information. By exploiting flaws such as a crack, which is a key a reinstallation attack with a K. The best way to ensure your data is encrypted and can't be read by hackers is by using ExpressVPN. It's so easy. Just download the app on your computer or smartphone. Smartphone? Smartphone? <laughs> what is this? A mattress Smartphone. read? Smartphone. And then use the internet as you normally would. Ding! Just click one button in the app to secure all of your network data. Boop. ExpressVPN is the fastest and most reliable, and they're recommended as the number one VPN provider by TechRadar and CNET. 
They take privacy and security to the next level. They even invented a technology called Trusted Server to ensure that VPN servers run from RAM and no data logs are written to a server's hard drive, even by accident. Whoa. The spookiest thing that you can do this Halloween season is leave your data unsecured. That's my truth. Um, So, Christina... (laughs) As a person who travels uh, to airports yes. extremely often and is about to yes. be in them constantly for the next month, tell me your thoughts. You want a VPN. Uh, if you're traveling, if you're going to be using public Wi-Fi, like, look, I know Starbucks, it's cool. It's like, oh, you see the Google logo. This is secure. And yes, yeah, Starbucks is probably okay, but not your local coffee shop, certainly not the airport. The reason I was late to recording this episode, <laughs> this is so stupid, was because I was I was accidentally connected to the Link NYC free Wi-Fi outside my yeah. house. Anyway, right. if you want, yeah, I, I was so, mm, how did that happen? If you want the best in online security and privacy protection, head over to expressvpn.com slash rocket for three extra months free with a one-year package. Protect your internet today with the VPN I trust to keep my data safe. Go to expressvpn.com slash rocket to get started. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of Rocket and all of Relay FM. Thank you, ExpressVPN. And I would just give one note. If you travel out of the country, oh, um, yeah. those airports especially, you want to use a VPN because in certain countries, if you read the terms and conditions, they basically say we will monitor your internet traffic. And, you know, uh, if if you're in a part of the world where, I don't know, they don't like you being on AO3 or something like that, um, <laughs> or you don't want your political things that you're looking at, I'm not even joking, like to be observed, you, you need to be using some sort of VPN, whether it's from our sponsor or somebody else. So, yeah. Could not agree more. All right, let's talk about some Apple TV Plus. Oh, my God. Yes, reviews of the app are rolling in and reviews of the app's content, Apple's original content, are also rolling in. Um, I feel much more qualified to talk about the content. So would one of you mind giving me the rundown of what people are saying about (laughs) Apple TV Plus? (laughs) Christina, this is your your baby. Go your ahead. Yeah, shine. yeah. No, I mean, so it's interesting, right? The one thing I want to point out, this I think is actually great. This is my most, the, this is the thing about this service that has me the most excited, okay? Uh, is that they've released an app for Roku and for the Fire TV. And I think it's also available for, for you know, like Samsung devices and some Vizios. And that's awesome. Not because I think that, we're necessarily going to be falling in love with the content on Apple TV Plus, as we will be discussing in just a moment, but because you can have access to your entire iTunes library <laughs> on those devices, which is a game changer because uh, anyone want to venture a guess as to how many movies I have in my iTunes library? Um, uh, probably I'm guess mm. 300. I'm going to guess okay. 450. Um, you are you are both wrong. It is five hundred forty-eight. <gasps> Christina, I know this is a problem. Most How? of them per- because in the last year I discovered the site called Cheap Charts, and it tracks when iTunes stuff goes on sale. And I get movies for like five dollars, or I'll get like a ten pack of movies for like twenty dollars. Oh my god! And so I buy too many of them because it's cheaper. I'm not even joking for me to buy them in my mind than it is for me to like dig out the Blu-ray, get the external Blu-ray drive, connect it to my Mac, use Handbrake, rip the Blu-ray, upload it to Plex. That's a whole process. So I just rebuy stuff I already own and then I buy, I'm dumb. I'm a dumb person. But because of this, when I go out of town, I don't travel with an Apple TV because A, it's not a good value and B, it's like not really sized correctly to travel with, but I do travel with a fire stick, a fire TV stick. Um, you could use a Roku stick as well. And what I love about that is that it was like $25 on prime day. Uh, I, and I know Amazon is evil, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. A deal's a deal. And now that it has that app on it, I have access to all my content. So I can watch all the streaming things, but I can also now access all of my iTunes stuff. And the thing is, is that there's a service called Movies Anywhere but it doesn't work with certain studios. Anyways, a whole thing. So I'm more excited about the app than I am the service. Uh, it doesn't do everything your Apple TV will, but I think that's actually the most exciting part 
of this whole thing. You are so deeply chaotic neutral. It is <laughs> out of this world, Christina. I respect it. You're not wrong about, I guess, being cheaper to buy a 10-pack of movies than spend your time ripping Blu-rays and uploading them to Plex. But you are out of your mind. <laughs> I know. I know I'm oh insane, but yet it does make sense. I'm actually being efficient with my time, but I'm also nuts. Yeah, no, but um, the so the service launches on Friday, the day after this episode is going to air. We're all going to, we're all excited. We're all going to check it out. Let's talk a little bit, though, about the first reviews of the shows. Ooh. Oh, boy. So we've got reviews now for shows like Dickinson, which is the Emily Dickinson uh, growing up tween show to compete with CW shows, I guess. Uh, The Morning Show, which is the ludicrously expensive Jennifer Aniston Reese Witherspoon vehicle, um, as well as uh, the show about astronauts that I just forgot the name of and Jason Momoa's C. Yeah, the, the astronaut one, that's the Ronald Moore show. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, I'm pulling up the the roundup right now. And all of them, with the exception of the astronaut show, whose name I will get for you soon, are in, for all mankind is what it's called. For all mankind, yeah. yeah there we go. Um, incredibly middle of the road. That being yep. said, I'm going to put in some caveats here. I'm still really pumped about Dickinson. But I want to talk about the morning show first because I yeah. feel like this kind of yeah. really this digs is the flagship into, show. This this yeah. is the show that they outbid other people on. Apparently, outbid Netflix on it. Uh, the budget for the show is fifteen million dollars an episode. Uh, to put that in perspective for the listeners uh, at home, that is on par with Game of Thrones. Uh, but this is not a heavy CGI show. This is not a heavy action show. This is a show that takes place in a newsroom. This is basically Aaron Sorkin's The Newsroom, uh, but about morning TV. It's uh, uh, based in part on the book um, uh, Top of the Morning by Brian Stelter. The reason that the budget is as insane as it is is because when you have Steve Carell and Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon, um, salaries are going to be at least... I don't know, probably 60, 70% of your budget. Uh, Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston are both getting $2 million an episode, uh, which, you know, good for them. And I, I think, I mean, I think that, look, I think actually Jennifer Aniston's given a little bit of a break because I think the final season of Friends, they got two and a half million a piece and that was more than a decade ago. So, you know, for Ooh. her, she's slumming it. Uh, but, uh, uh, and, and Reese Witherspoon, I don't know how much she was making on Pretty Little Lies, but she's an EP on that creator. So that gets messy, but, um, it's expensive and, uh, yeah. I mean, if they'd spent 16 million an episode on it, I think it would have been better. That's my belief. (laughs) And that was their main mistake was that they did not pour enough money into this show. Um, but so reviews are saying basically this, that the show is kind of struggling in this, uh, requisite for Apple shows, which is the, the realm of aspirational and that nobody quite knows what that means. Um, the acting is apparently great, uh, which is what you would expect when you get Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon and Mark Duplass, I don't know, on a show together, but that it's just not quite cohering into a plot that has anything to say, which is yeah. difficult when you're telling a show um, that uses Me Too themes about a morning show uh, in a post-Matt Lauer world. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I have something to say about yeah. this. When we were talking about this at the very beginning, what I said about Apple TV, what I said my fear was was that Apple, their executives were going to get involved and they were going to make middle-of-the-road shows that don't say anything or are afraid to take a stance. You know, we can have a... I I would admit that I have a very tough time watching Game of Thrones because of the explicit rape and violence on that show. And... But at least HBO is coming into that with a point of view. Yeah, right? I mean, or Succession, right? Is right. the best Succession. show on television. And you don't really like any of the people, yet you love the show. You know, right. like the people themselves aren't likable, but it's an amazing show. Right. So here you have 
a show, as she said, Simone, it's the, the height of the Me Too movement. People are dying for you to say something substantive about these issues. And every single review says, basically, that they tap dance around it. And I just, I think that it, it's that way with every one of the shows. I think it says so much that the one it's reviewed the best for all of mankind, mm-hmm. it's kind of playing with the same themes of the, it's a space race where Nixon's uh, tried to cover up Watergate in some ways, and we never had the space race, and we're doing it now. Yeah, that's something that's not asking to get into politics mm-hmm. as much. It's much more person focused. I just, uh, based on these early reviews, I think it's everything we said would happen. It's happened. Yeah, it's interesting. So there was a, a an article in Wired, I think it was last week, that was an in-depth look at kind of the creation of uh, Apple TV+. And this one was clearly done um, with support of Apple. And by that, I mean that they were allowed to interview executives and had access to, to Ronald D. Moore, whereas um, The Hollywood Reporter wrote something earlier this month um, kind of about the inside story about some of uh, the, the creation, some of the, the stumbling blocks and other kind of challenges that the services face so far, which clearly was not done, you know, in, in conjunction. But the wire story is really, really good. And it was interesting to me that the the focal point of the article was Ronald D. Moore and um, For All of Mankind. They mentioned the other shows that are going to be on, but that was the focal point. And that's interesting because that show was not part of the big kind of press rollout and and didn't get, um, unless you kind of followed the trades, you wouldn't have even known it was going to be a thing. Yet by all accounts, that seems to be the strongest. And in some ways that makes sense because you know, uh, Ronald D. Moore was heavily involved with the, with the Star Trek uh, franchise, and then obviously created Battlestar, uh, Battlestar Galactica uh, in the in the two thousands, which I thought was a brilliant series. He has some bona fides, whereas the other series have had a number of kind of missteps. Not that they haven't been hiring people who are really good at what they do, but like in the case of the morning show, they replaced the showrunner. There have been some other stumbles at some other um, projects. And so, yeah, I think, I think you're right that, um, you know, we should say that not all um, uh, shows have been given to to reviewers and um, screeners only got three episodes of um, the, uh, the morning show. And it's possible that that could, could get better. But it it's not a great sign when, for better or worse, like, look, a lot of people, a lot of, like, Apple devotees and fans who act as unpaid PR people are going to come out and be like, oh, you you can't join this, judge this too hard, this is their first attempt, this and that. Look, that's all well and good, and that's not untrue. But the reality of the situation is that they are a latecomer to a now very established, not just industry being premium television, but um, premium streaming television. They are also the most powerful company in the world. So, yes, they are going to be judged much more harshly than we judged Amazon or we judged Netflix when they first got into originals. Also, three episodes of The Morning Show is $45 million worth of television. Right. Um, And as was pointed out in the Rolling Stone review and many others, you know, Apple TV is extremely competitive with Netflix in that it only costs $5 a month. But you're Mm -hmm. just getting these shows and you've got this one that's kind of aimed at the Big Little Lies crowd that's a, you know, adult um, woman intense career drama. This is what we call Emmy Bait. It's called Emmy Bait. Yes, Emmy Bait. You've got Emmy Bait. Um, You've got Dickinson that seems to be aimed at, like I said, the CW crowd, the Riverdale watchers, the teens and uh, young adults. You've got... um, Oh my God! A first for mankind is that what it's called? Uh, that I, the show I can't remember the all, name all of. Which for is mankind. Interesting. For all, all mankind. mankind. Yeah. Thank Peace you. For all mankind. For all mankind. Yes. And you've got C, which is aimed, I think, at Game of Thrones fans. Honestly, it's the dystopian, um, far future. Nobody can see. Oh. The Jason um, Moma show, which honestly sounds it's a terrible. It sounds terrible for a show. Um, so you've got kind of like. One for everything, but that's not how I don't think that that is necessarily how you can launch a streaming service in 2019. Um, if I love my Emmy bait, I'm getting what there's one thing I'm coming here for, and it's the morning show. Am I gonna pay? 
$5 a month to continue watching the morning show? Eh. Probably not. Will I, I mean, probably pay $5 a month to watch Dickinson? Yes, it sounds like it rules. <laughs> also, you will get three months you will get three months free. Oh, that's true. I don't have to pay anything at all. <laughs> but uh, Dickinson, I, the, the reviews of this really speak to the exact same problems, Simone, that they could have put out a show that was bold and was really saying something in this particular moment, and they just didn't. And they talk about the uneven pacing and the 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 lack of a point of view. Like they they credit the death character as being by far the biggest breakout thing on that show. When death is more interesting than the feminist content for Emily Dickinson, I think something's gone wrong. Absolutely, and yet here I am. <laughs> right. I, I will also uh, so what, say. Uh, oh, go on. I was just going to say, like, as critical, like, we haven't seen the shows yet, and as critical as I have actually been of, of a lot of Apple's approach to media, um, and, and a lot of that has been, I think they've hired really smart people. I have concerns that that Eddie and Tim, you know, are getting involved in stuff that they just shouldn't get involved in. Um, uh, I, I genuinely think that the re- reason that, that um, you know, Reed Hastings has been so successful at Netflix is that he just lets Ted Sarandos run the show Reed doesn't get involved in the programming stuff. He lets the programming people do that. And and I think that that should be Apple's, you know, like uh, way of going forward too if they want to be successful. But having said all that, I do still want to say, like, I don't want to completely write off what this could be because even though I just got finished saying that obviously they're going to be judged more harshly as they should be than others who are getting new to this space, that it is not uncommon for anyone who is new to creating content, the first slate is almost never good um, or is almost never as good as what it could be, you know? And so that being said, I do think that that doesn't make it any easier for people to make the decision. Should I start spending $5 a month on, you know, the promise that this could get better? And, and no, the answer is, I mean, after three months, if you don't think that there's content there that's worth it for you, then I think that what most people will do is they will unsubscribe and then hopefully more new shows will be greenlit and will come out and they'll get better and then it will be worth subscribing to. Uh, but, but you know, um, I, I don't worry that Apple's not going to invest in this. I don't worry that this would be like if Google were to try to do a network, oh, I guess they have with YouTube and yeah, they have changed, you know, paths like 15 million times. Google wouldn't invest, right? Like if it wasn't initially super successful, Google would just be like, okay, we're out. Apple will. Uh, but unfortunately, I think timing-wise, and, and then I'm going to shut up, I swear, and let you guys talk, um, not only is this launching with kind of middling reviews from, like, and to be clear, in Rolling Stone, it's, it's Alan Sepinwall who is the best, I would say that he and, and, and uh, Margaret Lyons are like the two best, and, and uh, uh, What's-Her-Face from The New Yorker are the best television reviewers, like, working right now. But Alan is is right up there. Um, when you get middling reviews, unfortunately, um, literally 11 days after Apple TV Plus launches, Disney Plus launches. Yep. Yep. And I know where I would put my money. Like, yeah. if, if, if I had to choose one, I know what I'm picking, and, and, and it's not Apple. It's the one with, like, 50 years of back catalog. Well, this episode of Rocket is brought to you by our brilliant friends over at Pingdom. Pingdom are brilliant because they help you keep your sites and the sites you love online. Pingdom monitor your site so that you don't have to, and they give you real-time feedback so that you know exactly what's going on at all times. The internet is awesome, but stuff breaks there all the freaking time. Pingdom detects around 13 million outages every month, which is more than 400,000 outages every day. It doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company, you need alerts about any critical website issues. Pingdom will let you customize how you are alerted, depending on the severity of an outage. Plus, they'll track and analyze your website's load time so you can see what's affecting the user experience. If you have a site of any size, you need a Pingdom. And Pingdom have a no-fuss approach to getting started. All they need is the URL of the site that you want to monitor. And that's it. They'll take care of the rest. So go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And then when you sign up, use the code ROCKET at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. 
Thank you so much, Pingdom, for your support of this show and Relay FM. <laughs> and Bree, did you have any other comments you want to make? Sorry, I didn't mean no, to cut no, you no, off earlier. No, 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 that's it. I have um, a final comment. It's a side. <laughs> in a, it's an aside in the uh, Rolling Stone review of Morning Show, and it's this quote from Ted Sarandos from Netflix saying he loves succession but hates having to watch it weekly which he wouldn't do if it was even slightly less great which as Seppenwall points out is super damning of all netflix, <laughs> netflix shows yes that you yeah, do that. watch all of because you might as well Right. No, I love that. That was such a great point by Seppenwell. He's like, basically, he confesses that their shows aren't that good, but like, you just are like, all right, I'm, it's, it's the weekend or it's late. I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. It's so great. It's, it's so already true. playing. Um, what am I going to do? Yeah. Turn it off? No. Um, all right. Let us talk about uh, narrative games. Um, Brianna, this topic was kind of your idea. Do you want to intro Yeah. This? So, uh, there's a game that came out. It's called Outer Worlds. The entire industry is, is talking about that. And obviously, Rocket is not a video game review, uh, show, but this is part of a larger industry trend. And I kind of wanted to start by talking about that. Um, so to me, and Simone, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think the height of story based games really peaked in 2010 with Mass Effect 2, a game that many, story lovers feel is one of the best stories has ever been told in a video game. I'm certainly one of them. Um, and it's really interesting if you look at what happened to that kind of game after 2010. Uh, Mass Effect 3 came out and uh, the money people at EA kind of got involved. It had the uh, mandatory multiplayer to get the best ending. It had a ton of DLC. And of course, Mass Effect Andromeda happened, which was a, a nightmare. What you've seen overall in the industry is uh, really a, a, a stopping of making those kinds of games. And in its place, you kind of see this uh, trend of annualization. Uh, I enjoyed Assassin's Creed, but this is a perfect example of a story-based game that the money men have gotten their, their claws into, where it's constantly asking you to sign up for a season pass. It's constantly asking you to pay real money uh, real-world money to upgrade your weapons as you're playing along, just really, really getting in, in the way of the story, which is less narrative and more like you're in an open world and here we're going to keep providing content. Um, that's why Outer Worlds has really made a, a big splash this week in our industry. Um, what happens? Obsidian is a developer that is really well-known for coming in and producing sequels that are amazing. For Knights of the Old <laughs> Republic, they did KOTOR 2. They did Neverwinter Nights 2, didn't they? Am I remembering that correctly? I, th I think I they think did. So. I think they did. Yeah. And, of course, they did uh, Fallout New Vegas. Uh, so they took Bethesda's Fallout uh, universe and made Fallout New Vegas, a game that many people feel was better. Um, they've kind of been silent for a long time and they dropped this game out of nowhere called Outer Worlds. Um, you know, style-wise, it's not that interesting. Uh, it's kind of, it's Heinlein-esque. It's very Serenity slash Firefly. You're in a future with different colony worlds and you're in a, a ship of, 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 of hooligans going off on adventures all around the galaxy. So there's not a strong central narrative, but it is unapologetically a story-based game that is a very deliberate mix of Fallout 4 and Mass Effect. And this is why I've really got to emphasize with this. It stuns me that Obsidian went dark on developing this, really their first bold IP. There is no season pass that they are asking you to buy. There are no deluxe and alternate versions that give you different cosmetic things. There's no uh, costume pack. There's no fun, pain, way to cheat grinding in this game. There is literally only the game. Whoa. And it's a model that we have literally not seen in our industry since Mass Effect 1. 
And just for that reason alone, I, 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 I feel like this house of cards that our industry has made with looter shooters and games as a service and Anthem failing and Fallout 76 failing and all these games failing, I'm, I'm really hoping this is the moment that our industry kind of comes to our, its senses. So, Simone, have you been following this at all? Have you played it at I all? I have been reading all of my coworkers' amazing posts about it. Um, but no, I, I think I, my personal feeling is that I don't know if I would hold my breath for that. Uh, this game is being published by Private Division, which is a subsidiary yep. of Take-Two, and yep. they are actually doing some cool work publishing games that I think would not get put out by anyone else, like Ancestors, the Humankind Odyssey, which is the game where you play as um, pre-humans trying to survive <laughs> in the, like, po- just post-Ice Age or something, and, like, evolving, literally evolving into human beings throughout the game, um, which is ludicrously difficult and uh, just strange. And it made by, made by the, um, one of the, uh, Pat- Patrice Desolais, who made the first Assassin's Creed game, which is yet another uh, strange history game that I feel wouldn't get made today. Um, so this game is being published by that same group that is i think willing to take risks on games like this that are that feel almost like they came out of time um which is probably because they have you know take two behind them and the massive money of the publishers of red dead redemption and grand theft auto uh which is still raking in money with grand theft auto online um because it's still a great game literally because it's still a great game it's like 10 years later um so i i don't know i i i appreciate what this game is doing but i also don't necessarily believe that one game would be enough to move the needle even as positively as it has been reviewed um but it's it's actually not alone in being a game out of time that's been published this month because there's also a an rpg called greedfall that yep. um was put out and uh cast reviewed that for polygon as well and she said it feels like a game that she discovered looking through her old xbox 360 games like it has that quality <laughs> that's of, awesome yeah being something that just belongs to a completely different time period because it's that throwback to um dialogue choice uh closed ended rpg like in an adventure fantasy setting um so yeah these games are definitely less populous than they were around the time that the initial mass effect came out but um i don't know that some people are doing interesting work trying to keep making these games i just don't know how cost efficient that is given how quickly the price of a game falls and how much they cost to make. Well, and that's, I wanted to widen this topic out because all of us have been playing some games lately, uh, story-based games. And I think it's part of a bigger industry trend. Uh, Simone, you talked about the return of the Orbit Den. Christina, I know you've been playing uh, uh, Before the Storm. Yeah, I've been replaying, um, yeah. Uh, Which is also a cheaper game to make. But yeah, talk about that. Why do you like that? Yeah, so I first uh, played, um, uh, what was it, Um, um, uh, Life is Strange, I guess, like, a year or so ago, and then I uh, I, I played um, before the storm, like in in um, like December uh, when I got my PlayStation Four. I, I played it on that, and you know, there's not it's not a massive game element. It's more of kind of you know, I mean, there there's some game aspects to it, but it's mostly honestly a, a kind of a TV show that kind of unravels through game form, which is great. And it's just, it's a really good narrative. Um, and that one, that sequel is actually made by a different studio than who made the original uh, game. And um, uh, there were some different voice actors, but I, I actually thought the the story was was better um, in a lot of ways than the original Life is Strange. Um, but uh, the game mechanics maybe not being as good. But I, I, I'm with you. Like, I think that there is, I'm really looking forward to, you know, Last of Us 2, like February can't come soon enough. But there are these great game experiences where you feel like it does feel more cinematic or more like a movie or you experience something really profound. And not that those moments aren't still or those types of games aren't still around, but it's a very similar thing that's happening in movies where 
all the money is in Marvel films. And so you either have a kind of an independently produced movie that maybe you're lucky to get out and maybe it breaks out, but, you know, maybe get out being one of them, right? Maybe it, it becomes a, a, you know, a, a Blumhouse type of thing and is super successful. Um, or it's like a, you know, multi hundred million dollar production. Um, but you don't have those kind of like smaller, you know, $20, 30000000 million movies that that used to be really popular or not popular, but used to be made really often and, and that gave us some of the best stories and experiences you know, throughout time. And that's really disappointing. But to Simone's point, it does become kind of an economics thing where it costs so much to make them that you, you know, if you're going to invest those resources, you almost, you have to go more populist. I think especially when in our modern era, when we have so many examples of extremely broad games like Assassin's Creed Odyssey has a ton of choices. Outer Worlds, or yeah, Outer Worlds, by all accounts, does have a ton of branches and uh, dialogue that can go in different directions and different story, uh, different directions the story can take. That is something that is a requirement if you're making a story game in 2019 or now soon to be 2020. Um, And that is what takes up so much time and so much, um, so much money from developers. Yeah, I've been I've been thinking about this a lot, um, you know, because I don't want to be in politics forever. I do eventually hope to get back to game development, and I think I think if I were were launching my studio today, um, one of the lessons I feel like I learned from Rev sixty is you can have a creative vision and a script and characters for a story, but as far as gameplay, I really have begun to feel it's not enough. A a game I still play to this day is Metal Gear Solid Mm Five, And the reason I said this is Metal Gear Solid takes a stealth engine, right? So they put you on a map and you're out there and they, they spend a lot of time thinking about AI behavior, about what happens if you steal a Jeep in front of someone or you throw something here. It's essentially a, a physics sandbox. And then they crafted the story elements around it. And it's it's not that that was super successful because it wasn't in this case. I think most people would agree it was the weakest story of all the Metal Gear games. But my point is that sandbox and that kind of gameplay, I think that... I think that modern story-based games can't just come down to that, um, you know, that beyond human slash heavy rain slash beyond two souls uh, gameplay idea. I think you've got to give players more interaction, make them feel like they're, they're more actively part of the world beyond just shooting stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I agree (laughs) with you. I mean, I, I, No, no, I agree with you. I mean, honestly, I think that that points to the continued success of like Grand Theft Auto, for instance, right? Yeah. And I think, uh, I, and, and why the online mode is continuing to rank in so much money. Like when you have that kind of, you have historically with those games, they have decent stories, right? Like they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, pulp, you know, yeah. movies, right? They're gangster movies, but they also have then that, you know, that sandbox element where you can just do whatever. And then online, it has a whole other thing. I mean, I think it's why. The Sims has been such an enduring franchise, right, for the last 20 years, which is insane. Um, Where it's, you know, people are, you know, like, teens are still making, like, Sims, like, vlogs and stuff, which is hilarious. But um, because people like that type of experience, but but that takes so much work, right? Like, and, and so much investment. Um, it, it's kind of a catch-22 because we want to have these better experiences, these better games, these more interesting things. But then if you're going to do it, as, as Simone was saying, you have to go like super broad. And yeah, I don't, I, I don't know what the solution is, but I certainly hope that if the outer world is successful, it might at least encourage, you know, other uh, publishers to take a chance on these types of things. Because I think that obviously is, is the the thing that is um is they're the ones who are ultimately you know putting up a lot of money um uh, yeah. you know in in many cases um even though it's it's not story driven at all i do hope that maybe the success of weird games like you know untitled goose game and things like that might encourage more experimentation yeah mm-hmm. i couldn't agree more um just before we jump off this topic i simone i want to admit you were right. I made fun of you on Rocket for Orba Din. Orba Din. Uh, Return of the Orba Din. Uh, I said it sounded dumb. 
And I just want to admit on the show, I was 100% wrong about that. It came out on Switch and it's freaking awesome. I blocked so. that entire conversation from my memory, probably for the okay. sake of your dignity. Because <laughs> it's okay, a so great freaking game. So I, sh- so I should buy this is what we're saying? Absolutely. It's weird. It's, uh, so it, it's, it comes with this filter to make it look like a Macintosh slash Game Boy game. And it's in 3D. And you're trying to figure out what happened on this ship. And you're going around investigating it. And you hold up this compass that takes you to the moment of their death. And then you're walking around a scene studying every aspect of it and filling in clues in this book. So if you've kind of got an OCD problem-solving part of your brain, you're going to really like it. But it's weird. It's really weird. Awesome. Okay, well, that that sounds like something I would enjoy. So, because I have a, like, whatever the flight length is from Atlanta to Paris in, like, two weeks. So I need to to do that. Well, I have two, I guess, long flights coming up. So bring a notebook and a pen because you will want it. Oh, yes. Okay. This episode of Frock Hit is also brought to you by Zapier. Growing a business is hard, especially when you're spending hours every day moving data from emails to spreadsheets to wherever else. Wouldn't it be easy if all these things worked together without you lifting a finger? Zapier is the easiest way to automate your work. It connects all your business software and handles work for you so that you can focus on the things that matter most. You don't need to waste any more time on tasks that you know could be automated because that's what Zapier was built to do. So if you work in sales, for example, Zapier lets you instantly engage with leads and send them to a CRM or a spreadsheet and then notify your team so that they can act act, fast on every opportunity. Uh, But whatever your business, you can build the exact solution that you need in minutes without writing code or asking developers to help. And it supports more than 1,500 business applications, things like uh, Google Drive, Gmail, Slack, um, all the things that I use, maybe the things that you use too. I don't know your life. Um, It's no wonder that more than 4.5 million people are saving 40 hours a month using Zapier. What? That is more expensive than an Apple show. No. Wait, 4.5 million people. That's different from dollars. I don't know, but they probably saved money too by saving time because time is money and I am time. Zapier, let me do a cool plugin so that I can see whenever people book a calendar event in the den at my work where no one is allowed to go except the Polygon team. And that helps me protect my territory like an aggressive mother skunk protecting her den. It's really cool. And it just sends me a little notification every time there's a meeting in there. And I'm like, I see you. I acknowledge you. I will let you live. Right now, through the end of the month, try Zapier free by going to zapier.com slash rocket. That's Z-A-P-I-E-R dot com slash rocket for your free 14-day trial. Go there now and check it out. It'll save you so much time. Zapier.com slash rocket. Thank you so much, Zapier, for your support of Rocket and all of Relay FM. Hey, 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 Brianna, what are you doing this week? So can you tell I'm a little bit hoarse today? A little bit. Yeah, that's because I spent all damn weekend out canvassing in 40-degree weather. Oh, my God. It's already that (laughs) That cold up there? That is how hardcore I am about getting elected. So, yeah, uh, I'm canvassing this week. Uh, There's I know people outside Massachusetts aren't going to get this, but there's a big election over in Quincy. Uh, My friend Will Eisenberg, he is a prosecutor. He's progressive and is amazing. So we're double uh, teaming some canvassing where uh, he's going to talk to voters and I'm going to talk to voters. Nice. Yep. Christina, how about you? You actually also sound a little hoarse. How are you? Yeah, so I'm sick. Uh, (laughs) I do not have time to be sick, but I'm sick. Um, So I am, uh, but I'm on antibiotics, so I should be in the process of getting better. Um, I am finalizing uh, a lot of work that I have to do before I go to Orlando. And so I fly to Orlando on Saturday, which means that uh, Christina's hotel tours on Instagram will be resuming uh, film underscore girl, everyone's favorite show. And um, I uh, will be um, gone for the next two episodes because 
Uh, next week, I will be in Orlando for Microsoft Ignite. And the following week, I will be in Paris for Microsoft Ignite, the tour. And as much as I love you all and would be happy to be, you know, on at like two o'clock in the morning, um, I'm not going to do that. That's so, fair. <laughs> uh, you know, like sometimes I have because it's been after I've I've given talks or whatever. In this case, it'll actually be uh, after one of or be, before like one of my talks so we're not doing that that's a no <laughs> fair enough uh what am i doing this week um i think this announcement happened last week that polygon has had a show ordered by quibi which is Woo-hoo! jeffrey katzenberg's new streaming service so wow. to be perfectly candid i have been working on that a lot this week <laughs> and i will continue to work on it until i can show something for it um other, is this going to make is it Detective de- Simone? Yeah, is it Detective Simone? No, it's not Detective Simone. It's not about me. I'm just helping uh, liaise with editorial on it. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what I am going to be doing this week. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm scanning back through my mind trying to think if there's anything else that I'm doing, and there's absolutely not. It's just all I'm. I am Quibi, and Quibi is me now. That's my life. Brianna, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me online at Brianna Wu on Twitter, uh, Devolve for Brianna Wu on Facebook. And it's the end of the month. So if you can help us meet our fundraising uh, goals uh, for my congressional campaign, I sure would appreciate it. Uh, you could do that by going to supportbrianna.com. Nice. And Christina? You can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams. Again, that's where I will be doing my stories and my hotel tours, which I'm going to have to find a way to like archive and like re-upload for uh, for people to to view again um, in a way that doesn't make it impossible to go through my Instagram history. Anyway, um, and then you can find the work that I do at uh, youtube.com slash Microsoft developer. And if any of you happen to be in the off chance, very off chance, you happen to be in Orlando or Paris for Microsoft Ignite or Microsoft Ignite the tour, uh, hit me up and let me know because obviously rocket rules apply no matter where I am. But also I'd love to, to see anybody. Again, I realize that's very unlikely that anyone will be in either of those places, but if you are, I mean, you know, throwing that out there. <laughs> um, and of course, you can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar, um, where I am tweeting about Ernest Hemingway and the boxcar children, <laughs> and at youtube.com slash polygon. Um, and if you like this show, please do consider giving it a review on Apple Podcasts, which is a cool thing that cool people do, and sharing it with your friends so that they can enjoy it too. And also hear my solicitation to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and be cool just like you are, friend. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 <laughs>